0: The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. I'm Joe Costello along with Lake Speed. Junior. You've gotten used to all these great episodes of Hidden Horsepower. Some are audio only. Some are on the phone. Some are out PRI. We've yeah, got some great exactly. episodes coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's so exciting when the young ones leave the nest, right? They leave the nest and they go off. I find out that this guy is off doing Hidden Horsepower episodes in NASCAR country, unbeknownst to me, but we have got an episode that is so exciting. Lake, tell us. Also, for the Engine Performance Expo that just happened, we were
1: working on a segment for the Engine Builder Hall of Fame. So, Holman Moody is a name that a lot of people would know from NASCAR history. Yeah, if
0: they like you know racing, they, right, might, yeah. they might have heard of it.
1: Right, because it was more than just NASCAR. Yes. Holman Moody built the cars and the engines that won Le Mans. The Ford versus Ferrari, yeah, they are part of that deal too. Well, one of the key guys that was Part of that whole thing is a guy named Waddell Wilson. Kind of a legendary NASCAR engine builder, crew yeah. chief, everything kind of guy.
0: Daytona 500 winning crew chief, uh, championship. championship winning engine builder. And you're hanging out with this guy?
1: Yeah, so because he worked at Holman Moody. And so we had the chance to just go beyond just the engine builder Hall of Fame interview. So we did a little Hidden Horsepower episode that you get to watch right now. Hello and welcome to Hidden Horsepower. This is a very special episode. No jo- Joe Costello this time, but that's because we have the legendary Waddell Wilson. Now, you probably don't recognize this, but you know, as my dad was coming up in NASCAR, I was only a little kid, but you were one of my heroes, right? And I haven't said nothing to you so far about this because I just knew that that 28 car was the fastest thing out there. And you were, I guess from your generation right it was a different thing like you said before when we were talking about your time at home and moody you guys worked in the shop you said what eight in the morning to ten at night right and then you went and to the you went to the racetrack on the weekend and you changed tires and jack cars and all that and that's what i remember is that you're from that era of nascar where you did everything you built the engines you were the crew chief and you changed tires you know if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, tell me. You were the engine builder, the crew chief, and the pit crew guy, oh, yeah. and won the Daytona 500. Is that? Am I right or am I wrong? Oh
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. That's why he's on hidden horsepower. This is insane. So, I mean, that's just so different than today, where everything is specialized. Like there's literally a guy, you know, 10 years ago that was the valve spring guys All you did was check valve springs. Oh yeah.
2: And you, drive me crazy.
1: <laughs> so, uh, tell me the story. H- how did you go from where?
2: Where were you from? Mountains of North Carolina, Mitchell County.
1: From, okay, you went from Mitchell County to being engine builder, crew chief, pit crew, winner of the Daytona Five Hundred. How? How did you get there?
2: Well, a lot of hard work.
1: <laughs> it sounds like it.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it was something that I. It was a big, it was a challenge. And if you want a challenge and you love that, you know, get race in racing because that's a challenge. And the big thing about it, I remember most of all, John Holman had come to me and he said, Let me tell you something, whatever. If you get caught cheating, I'll fire you. And he told me that three or four times. Okay. When he put that finger in my chest. And he said, You're good enough to win without cheating. Well, that was the best thing I was ever told because I didn't want to cheat anyway. You only want to look on my shoulder. But they put me in the engine room when I went to work there, and there was another story with that, but we'll not get into that. But anyway, <coughs> they had me build engines, and then they come to me and said, we need an extra man on the fireballs car. Peter I said, like, okay, I'll do that too, I was very athletic high school. So anyway, I was on his car, and then I remember being at Daytona in 63. The summer race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he was the only man that ever hit me on pit road. And he came to me before the race, he said, We're sitting on pit walk. They had no place to hide back then. Right. And he said, "And what else? Wherever you go with that, that signboard, because then we didn't have radio, and you go signboard, chalkboard. He said, I'm going to follow you. I said, Okay. So he told me that three or four times. So the last pit stop I remember, Coming down pit road, there wasn't no pit road speed, there wasn't no box that you had to stop in or any of that. But he got a pit of wife. I said, there Ain't no way you can stop that thing. No, them, them drum brakes. So anyway, I said, Well, I can't go right, I can't go left because he's going to follow me. And I remember I jumped straight up, he ran up under me and I landed back on the windshield. <laughs> he never said a word about it, but he ended up winning the race that day. Who was he driving? Fireball Roberts. Uh-huh. And then but then Lorenzo runs second to him. they had both company cars, which that was pretty usual for the two of them to run together and one win to the other. But it went on from there, you know, the next in that fall, or that, you know, after the season's over, here come Lorenzo and Moody, and they wanted to be the jack man on Lorenzo's car. I think, okay. I've never jacked a car, so there's several guys in the shop heard about it and they wanted to try out for it too. So they set up a place to try it out. So anyway we go over and do it and I like I said, I never drank before. But anyway, we done it there's several eight of it out for us. so I remember I ended up being the quickest and the guy said, Oh, you didn't do it right. Moody said, Well didn't do it again. Well I had a little feel for it then. I was a lot quicker the next time so they just turned around and went that one.
1: And that was with the floor jack. That wasn't
2: oh, some kind yeah. of
0: like, you know, yeah, aluminum it was like race 13,
2: jack. 13 pumps to get it up, you know. And then yeah, that was, I don't know how much them things weighed, but <laughs> that very much. heavy. Yeah. But anyway, that went on. And, the, but then I was building engines for full And then here comes the Daytona Dayton 67. And, and the homeowner come to me and he says, Mario had said he, he don't have a horsepower on that, I said, "You got to build his engine." Okay, so I built both their engines, and you know, I remember his dog several years back. Mario come to me and said, "Let me tell you the rest of that story." He said, "I went to, you know, when I I drove the tractor trailer to Daytona with the engine in it, and all the rest of the stuff went into it." So anyway. I told Lorenzo his engine number, and Mario isn't. So Mario goes to get his engine, and boy, they had two of them getting them out. I never didn't know who it was. So they said, well, you don't want this engine, you want this one. He said, Nope, that's the engine I'm getting. And then Mario overpowered him and took the engine. He said, Put that thing in the race car. And he said, The first lap around the race car, I picked up 400 RPMs. He said, I knew I Adam covered in. That then was Mario Andretti? Mario, yeah. Yeah, just Mario Andretti, yeah. <laughs> the two of them, Lorenzo and Mario, they went back and forth all day long, and ended up they they ended up lapping the field and running up Mario one, and and then Lorenzo running second. And then boys on Lorenzo picture said, "Oh, you give him a better engine." You built both of them you yeah. couldn't never win. No, of course not. That's the way it goes.
1: <laughs> so, when I first saw you, it was that must have been early '80s when you were with Kelly uh, at the '28 Hardy's car. Right. I remember him qualifying at two hundred at Daytona and flipping every, you know, yeah, flipping the race car. Now there's some there's a story about that, right?
2: Well, there's a lot of stories before I even get to that.
1: Okay, there's yeah, there's there's 20 <laughs> years in there, right? So yeah, uh, so we'll hold that for later. So yeah, what what comes after the Holman Moody well, days that, you and, you know, and all that?
2: I worry I was there from from '63 uh, to the end of '82, '72, uh, I mean. Anyway, uh, after Lorenzen, he he got out, and then uh, here come uh, Pearson and Norman Major, and Ford Motor Company won to run for the championship with us. So, you know, in 68 and 69, I built engines, brand new engine for every every race, and we wanted to run a hundred races in two years. You know, I built wow. a brand new engine for every race, and I was always our taking care of the race, the car, the engines, and and them tuned. And uh, we won the championship in 16 and 69 with Pearson at of Mood. Because when did Ford pull out? That, that was kind of the end of the uh, Mood, right? Was, when when was, Ford pulled out, right? They pulled out at the end of, the starting of 69 when they pulled out. Okay. Yeah, they pulled out in 69. So they, they anyway, actually continued on a little
1: bit past that. Yeah. You?
2: Okay. And then, like I said, Pearson left. And then uh, whenever, he left at the end of 69, 70. And in 71, Bobby Austin came in and drive the race car. And he ended up winning. I don't know, I mean, I remember he won. We won both Charlotte races. We won uh, both Michigan races. You know, horsepower tracks. It was amazing how many races we won in here. And then Holman shut the race team down. And then 72, Glenn Wood came to me and wanted to know if I build engines for him. So I uh, built engines for the brother in 72. And to start with, it was AJ, which he won to Ontario, won to Daytona. And then Glenn come to me and says, what about Pearson? I said, you put Pearson in that race car you're going to win a bunch of races. You know, he is good. And so anyway, Pearson come along and they continued then at the end of 72. Uh, I left and went for win. okay, and Benny Parsons. And that was interesting. We won the championship in 73 uh, I think it was, we won the championship out was, uh, and uh, and then the biggest thing that, that I still can't believe happened and we were getting ready to go to Daytona in 75 and we were at Riverside and Benny come to me with a set of Pistons and he said, you know look at these, he said guys, I said these are bigger Daytona 500 winners right here. And I looked at the Pistons and I said Benny these are drag race Pistons, they're made for quarter miles, I know 500 miles. So anyway, he said, "Oh, I won't work. I got forty, but I okay, 'Okay, I'll build it.'" And I said, "Well, we're going to do it for the second engine." <clears throat> he said, "Well, that's all we can afford to build parts for one engine." So the year before was whenever we was, we had downsized and the aftermarket had caught up with the, you know good parts and pieces, so we had to use going the from the big block to the small to block. All this is this is, but you know that's whenever they downsized to the small block. Yeah. And it was 366 inches, then they went to 358. And <clears throat> in that same year. So getting ready for the 75 Daytona 500. And uh, whenever they couldn't build with that one, I built it and I went through all them old boiled up parts and got enough pieces together to build an engine, you know, to just to make a noise about all it's gonna be.
1: Well, that's, I mean, my, my memory of all that time was those small blocks back in those early days, they were hand grenades. It's like, they you, it, it's, to go to Daytona with one part, with one engine, and some of them used parts is like, basically, you, you don't have a lot of expectation.
2: None, really. I mean, I remember, I put it, finally got enough parts out of those old used parts, and uh, put that thing together, and like I said, I wouldn't give you $200 for it. So anyway, we go down there. And Benny said, well let's put the new engine in and go with it and run a couple of laps and then we'll take it out and put the old engine in you built. I said, okay, before the two laps up that thing blowed up, That need a new engine. So now we got this old slave engine and <clears throat> we practice, we qualify and we end up 32nd I think starting the race. We come down halfway and we're still running, which was my surprise. And then it gets the next to the end the person leading the race and then he ends up something happened to him now we're leading the race and i'm thinking well dang that thing What i had no idea that it was going to even make five four of them i 500 and now what crank did i put in that thing because i you know did it with the 366 or a 357 356. Uh, but anyway He ends up winning the race. LG was so excited he couldn't even enjoy it. He was way beyond his wildest imagination. Benny's, I thought he was gonna squeeze my insides out of me. But anyway, and all I could think about, what size is that? (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's 358 or smaller. So anyway, I don't even want to go to teardown Because I know we had to take a head off of it. And finally I said, well, I'll go because they paid me. I went to teardown, took it apart, a checkerboard joke and thank goodness it was illegal but i never believe it was but that's one place when the daytona 500 that in that kind of condition is unbelievable <laughs> you know ended up seven times winning with any engine that won a daytona 500 but that was that was that was the top of the hill that's crazy so anyway yeah i left we'd already won the championship of benny and then the daytona 500 and then Harry Renier come and he wanted me to go work with him, so I took a job with him and just building hinges. And then...
1: Was Renier in Charlotte? Where, where yeah, were they I mean based? Our
2: shop was out at the racetrack, Charlotte Motor Bayway, Okay. in the back of the Goodyear building. Oh, okay. We had that as uh, the shop was there, that's where we started. And then we ended up down in Charlotte on Doyle Street. But anyway, that was an interesting time. We had Lenny Pond Lenny, in in 60, well, said, I forget what year, but we won Talladega-Villenny-Pond and in '679." you know, that's whenever Buddy Baker come to drive a race car. Yes. And uh, our <coughs> ever come to him and he said, he said, you're going to be the crew chief and the engine dealer, you and the gentleman, you're going to have the whole show now. And I think, dang, I don't want to be no crew chief and all that, and I'm thinking, well, I, before I'd say no to it, I said, well, I won't be have to argue with nobody what I want to do. That's true. So, you know, I was always arguing with crew chiefs about what gear to put in the car and all this, and how much tape to put on it. I said, well, I'll just have myself to argue with. So anyway, it, it worked out okay. The first race we went to was the old Texas Motor Speedway, and we ended up sitting on the pole. Then the next race was Michigan, and we won Michigan. And... Uh, Then getting ready for the Daytona 500 in 1980, that was, uh, whenever the the season ended, there was only three of us in the shop left. And I remember working through the holidays and everything I knew about a race car that I'd learned through the years at home in the mood and all the drivers I'd worked with, I said, well, we've got all winter, we're gonna make that thing what I want. We didn't have no body man, so I took them took it out to a guy that used to work with Halloween movie, And I pulled strength down the side of the car and, you know, this is what I'm looking for. But I said, that's when we had the long templates back then. <laughs> I said, I want that temper to fit like a glove. So That was one of those big body Monte Carlos, right? Oh, yeah, well yeah. this is this is an Old Mobile. that's right. Oldsmobile, yeah. Yeah, they an saying hey, Oldsmobile. Anyway. We got that thing, had, I'd go, to, don't worry, we they even look at it at lunchtime. And I said, no, that ain't what I didn't want cut it off and fix it, this and I'd pull the strings down in and show him exactly what I wanted. And finally he got it finished, you know, after I don't know how many times he took it apart. So I took it to the shop, and the funny thing about it later, I got a big bill for that race car. Wow. So anyway. <laughs> All I'm those, those changes are revisions. <laughs> This will get me in trouble. So anyway, we show up at Daytona with it. And uh, I remember the car was fast. It was, it was extremely fast from what I thought. But anyway, Sunday morning I remember Dick Nick was over the garage and he, pens, he paid me to come to the garage office. So I go in the office and he runs everybody out and he said, sit down over here. He said, I'm gonna tell you something. Ain't nobody here wants to run against that race car today. I said, Dick, ain't nothing wrong with that race car. He said, Yeah, I know. I could tell when they put the cover on it at nighttime on market. And you could tell you where they had the cover off of it. So they was going over. He said, I wish everybody here to go through inspection where you can see just how legal that car is. I said, And I'm thinking, I don't want 'em to see. You know, it's something that I found out with aerodynamics, it made it work. 'Cause whenever you made that pull the front of the car down and that hurt the cow pressure. Mm. So, you know, and if you put made the template fit it, you know, it pull the front of it up and then you the cow pressure went up extremely fast. Okay. So I just like having a mini blower on it, really. Okay. You know it? And but anyway, during the race So I, the hood
1: angle and everything was what was influencing yeah. the cow pressure. Oh yeah. And you'd figure that out back then. I could not understand why other people did
2: you know, but you know, when so many times. I'd been to Daytona and Kylie working on all these different things, mm-hmm. you know, through the four days with all my mood. So, anyway, you know, the you know, car running like I thought it would be, and we led most of the race, you know, that day. Ended up winning the race, and we got in victory Lane, and, and uh, they came here and I was staying there together. And I had that big bill that bugged me all week about that race car. And he said, Well, you boys just set a brand new record. Faced 500 miles, and also for the money, 103,000 dollars. I said, "No, yo, bunch of money for that race car." <laughs> so anyway, it was. A- that, no, that
1: camshaft is still in Scooter's brother's office because that the 200 mile fastest race oh, camshaft. yeah, he wanted that. Yeah, that yeah, camshaft still in his office. I remember I've been seeing that for years.
2: Yeah, well, them guys that you know comp cams, they really worked with him and helped him. They was they was a lot of they that was a lot of success to those guys Yeah, they really helped me. So it worked out to have that big deal and go pay for that race car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you know, we had one Talladega with Buddy, you know, besides Daytona 500, one Michigan with him, you know, ended up winning Michigan nine times. Wow. That was a good racetrack. But I love fast racetracks and where the it took horse fire. And, but, you know, the horse fire and aerodynamics, they work together. Absolutely. Yeah, but anyway, where do we want to go from here?
1: Well, it's well—that's just interesting—is that yeah, I feel like uh, like when my dad first got into NASCAR in you know '80, I remember the crew chiefs and stuff saying like aerodynamics didn't matter that these cars were big b- bricks and they just pack full of air and they go. And I'd always been into airplanes and stuff, and I'm like, oh, I mean, airplanes—that's like aerodynamics that's is everything. To say that. Right, And I'm like, I remember well, when the Monte Carlo came out and the, the 83 Monte Carlo, and it's like that nose is around. It's like, well, that's gotta be better than that dumb old Pontiac over there where it's a brick in the front.
2: Yeah.
1: And so it's funny, cause those guys acted like it was nothing. And you're, you're saying like, oh no, no, it was something. And of course, they right. weren't winning races and you were, so.
2: There's three things that makes a race car go fast. space that day, total mentality. And that's horsepower naturally. Mm-hmm. but aerodynamics and rolling resistance. I worked on all of them. You know, a lot of people never worked on rolling resistance, but there was a lot involved in that, you know, through the drivetrain, you know, bearings. Like, pinion things angles things, and everything, it can be mounted up or you not. Know, it all had to work together. All right. And you know, that's why that car at Daytona, and, you know, in the 80, the record still stands today for the fastest 500 miles to run at Daytona or any place. Mm-hmm. But that was that was one one great time we had down there. And then Buddy went away, and then Benny Parsons came in in '82, I think. Yeah, '82. And we was at Talladega, and that was the first anybody, the first time anybody broke 200 mile an hour. Yeah. We qualified over 200. Nobody else did that day. But anyway, I ain't thinking nothing about it. we were just on the pole. Was, you go back to John Hol- Holman Holman, he always thought we were supposed to set on every pole, lead every lap, win every, every race. race. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, it's just another pole we got. But anyway, it was something to break 200 because I know some of the guys wanted some passes. So I had to go to the office outside the racetrack. And I walked in there and I mean, they were jumping up and down and said, the phones ain't quit ringing for tickets. People wanted to come to Talladega because of the magic number 200 mile there.
1: Yeah.
2: So anyway, we didn't end up winning the race. The car was very fast. Anyway, we didn't win. So then next year it was Kel Yarbrough, he come home. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so we had the Monte Carlo then. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we, we were the first one to break the 200-mile air barrier at, T- at Talladega. I want to be the first one to do it at Daytona. So I remember being in a wind tunnel at GM, and they, they had the numbers on the, what the drag number was. And they said, well, what, what horse pay you got? And I told them, they said, well, this car will run 203 mile an hour in Daytona. Okay. So we get to Daytona and I'd never worked with Kel before. and he's he's out there running 45, 70s and 80s and 45 flat with 200 mile an hour. And I said, what? Well, the race car? If I used to probably Austin, buddy, Baker and people like that. You know first couple of three laps you knew what you had. But Cale was sandbagging and the day before we qualified he could pass another car he said What? Else? ain't nothing wrong with this race car don't mess with it. He said I ain't never been in nothing this fast I mean it ain't going very fast but anyway what like I said he was sandbagging so we go to qualifying back then you could put the spoiler wherever you want right and it was a notch back car that kind mm-hmm. car was so you might as well throw the Spoiler off. had a lift anyway in the yeah. back, in the wind tunnel. So, anyway, I bend it down 20 degrees, and he bends it even more when he comes out there to get in to qualify. So, first lap he run at 45, 4470 something. He was well over 200 mile there. And they were timing it in the tower, you know, the intervals of the race racetrack. Mm-hmm. And, anyway, that, that guy was timing it. He came to me later and told me about it all. Oh, he said, he said do you think there was you think you jumped up down about yesterday he's on the clip not 203. but then when he went into turn three you know she decided to fly with him so yep. she took off like an airplane. That's a famous <laughs> photograph right that thing upside upside down and yeah that, that, but anyway. But y'all still won the 500 that year. No yeah, well anyway we're going Dick Beatty picked me up on pit road when we went up right to race car and it was it was back on its wheels, but you know, you could tell it'd been messed up the roof and everything. And the guy was standing up front, of one of the guards, and he said, The only thing you wanna know if they break two hundred miles an air. Went in, film care Center and the kid was in there and they had his uniform down, he checked him over. He looked up at me and said, You didn't put the controls in so I could fly <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he was something else. But so we come back to the race truck, back in the garage area, and Bill France came to me the first one and he said, what hell, If you'll fix that race car, you've already got the record 200 miles an hour, over 200. And he said, <clears throat> if you'll fix it, you can stay here with it, work 24 hours a day, and well put a card in your weed. And you have to start Thursday start the 125s and run a couple of laps, and you can put them back in and work on some more. So, anyway, the boys says, you know, the kid wanted to hire a couple of them, three of them, when well, he was there with me. And they come over and said, happy hour, we're going to be at, be a happy hour here in a couple of hours, so we're not going to fix that race car. But in the same time, Cheryl I got in touch with me and said, anything you need, you know, I'll have the parts flew down there to you. And then Harry from came to me and said, my jet's sitting out here, and the guy from Calumet Farms said, my jet's sitting out here, so whatever you might need. But anyway, I, you know, after them boys told me they wasn't going to work on it, I kind of put the squash on it, so. anyway. I remember walking by Leonard Woods, or he come to me, and he's about to cry. He said, what else? He said, you're not going to fix that car? He said, you've been on the pole four years in a row with different drivers and different cars. This will make you fifth row, and you're not going to fix that race car? I mean, he thought I was crazy. <laughs> so anyway, the funny thing about it, Junior Johnson come up looking at it, and a friend of him was with him, he told me about it later. He said, anything goes that fast, i the turn over. Sounds like Junior. Yeah, he was quite a character, Doctor Woodall Junior. But anyway, we ended up, you know, brought the Le Mans back down there, and we had it made a show car out of it. But anyway, come, come down there, and he ended up winning the race with it. That was a previous year's car, right, or something like that? Yeah, it was a car we'd run before, so it was the, the only spare car we had. So anyway, we got it. Is it true that it was
1: a show car and it was sitting, at, it, si- you know, sitting it, you know, at a Hardys
2: or something? Yeah, we turned it into a show car. But then yeah. we brought it down there and we fixed it up. And when we qualified on money. only 195 miles there. You know. But we didn't put a lot no effort into it, really. I mean, we just wanted to get a time and of that. Right. So then, you know, he ended up winning the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, we come back with jail and won it again. So we went two years in a the row there.
1: So how fast did you go the second year?
2: Um, we qualified over two hundred, but we'd already had the record. record. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of hard work. I can tell you that it's a lot of hard work.
1: Oh, I bet. Being engine builder, crew chief. Now the aerodynamic part, that still just kind of got me. It's like, so what did you do exactly with the cow? Because I've I've heard different theories about the cow, like that it's how the, it's not as the air goes over the hood, it's as it comes down the windshield. The windshield angle is what really, which, well, which one did you the see? it helps
2: damage. Dam okay. It up as air comes in, you know, it's, but you know, the more slope, the, you know, it's going. Then to it side goes off. Right. So the, the windshield's laid right. back; it just goes over. Yeah. So you know, later on, you know, the windshield's in; they just laid over. Right. Look after that. But anyway, was a lot too that working on the cow pressure. You know, get the caliper works work right. hmm The back of the hood, you can work work on it, and then at the windshield. Work on that area. You, you know, you can knife edge things, you know, vortex, you make it work with, with you or against you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot I'd learn, you know, through the year. All those little up. details. And one thing it is funny, I'll never forget Pearson always wanted to get a glass of Gatorade when he was driving the car. And he'd go down the back stretch, they would be at Daytona Tylee, and he'd throw it out the window. And that Gatorade would go back down the side of the race car and you could see where it went on the spoiler and all. And I'd always look at that and see where the air was going mm-hmm. and what you could do to make things better. You want to decrease or increase, whichever you're looking for. If you're looking for drag or down pressure. Right. But anyway, there was a lot to learn about that, and then how things got sandblasted at Dayton and Talladega and Darlington, mm-hmm. you know, things that get sandblasted, you could, you could, you could see that. You could that. But anyway, it was an interesting time.
1: Oh yeah, because obviously in that era, you, you had these factory parts. You didn't have a lot of aftermarket parts, so you had oh, to take yeah. factory parts and then massage them and turn them into pieces that could do that, versus what, like today, you could just go buy really good stuff.
2: Oh yeah yeah it's yeah it ain't like it was where we had to make all these pieces fit and work with them and, you know it was he was different from what these guys have gotten in I mean it's, you know it's a lot easier I've seen some of their parts it's amazing on that sale. yeah totally amazing now has,
1: what time for your, I can't remember exactly I know it was somewhere in the eighties is when Everyone started angle milling the head, you know, welding them up and rolling them over to roll the valve angles over and stuff on the Chevrolet heads. Is that was that like mid
2: eighties that started happening? Yeah, we started that. Yeah, you know, back in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of things you know we do, and it was legal to do. Yeah, you know, it wasn't illegal, but like they weren't taking anything like that. You know, always tried to stay within the rule book, and you said you had plenty of room to work and do, do things. Yeah,
1: Gary Williams is a good buddy of mine. He said "Yeah, the carburetor stuff is obviously big, big deal.
2: Oh, it was. Bigger than you. I, you could really get into carburetors. You know, I went to see Bobby Allison, he and I talked about some of that, when he won the races, all of the races in 81, what I was doing to the carburetor, which was legal. Because mm-hmm. I remember we went to, we won Charlotte that year, we won both Charlotte races with Bobby Allison, and then we went to Rockingham. And, <clears throat> Bill, Gasly, and Joe, they took him a carburetor. And uh, so I went by and asked him, I said, y'all go to my carburetor? No, nope. so I called John home, And the first thing John asked me, he said, what else, is that carburetor legal?" I said, it met all the rules. It fits the rules. And he said, well, if they won't give you a new carburetor back, you bring that car to the house. I said, okay. So I went over and asked him, nope. I said, okay. So I told Van Ford, we're going to get the weekend off. So we pulled it up on the back of the hallway. And they come over and wonder where I was going. I said, well, don't tell me to bring it home unless you give me that carburetor back. And he said, no, nope, we can't give you carburetor. I said, well, we're not, we're not going to. We're going to go to that shop. And he said, well, let's talk about it. I said, talking's over. So they went and bought the carburetor back. But anyway, they said, that carburetor was to leave. But to the rules. Yeah. But anyway, but I remember we didn't win the race, that hurt. Not bet, yeah. That was unusual. we didn't win. Bobby's won about everything that year, with that car. But there's a lot of interest, And then carburetors, like I and there's so much you carburetors, you know, to work on, which is legal, you know. They had 830 carburetors, which is an 850 with a sleeve in the, in the, and it made it to, uh, you went from inch and three quarter inch and 11 sixteenths. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but you had room to work with it from there. Carburetors, manifolds,
1: I know that all the plate oh, stuff yeah. came later, all the inserts and everything, yeah. craziness. Well,
2: whenever they put them restrictor plates on them and all that, that just opened up cheaters paradise. Yeah. You always hear, hey, put the rates up, we won and what they had, what was illegal about it, because it was always illegal. I told me in France and he started doing it, I said, Well that's your paradise. And it was. See? Truth <laughs> this guy knows, right? <laughs> and I didn't
1: fit that much. Yeah. Well it's obvious like when a car can, you know, lose an ignition box and fall almost a lap behind and then catch the pack by yeah. themselves to drive oh, around yeah. them. Oh no. Yeah. That's not legal. There's no way.
2: And the funny thing about it, you know, these guys all like to talk and you hear about you know, what they were doing. Right. You know, everybody wants to talk about it. So well, that's one thing I'd say we, you know, we stayed on top, moving. We didn't, I was not in for fatigue. And didn't. So there wasn't in the, in the rule books or anything you said to say, you know, we we done it wrong, we didn't. All right. We done it wrong. it was a lot of hard work. So how many daytime five hundreds did you, did you win? Seven. How many
1: championships? Three. here we go. Well, Waddell, I can't thank you enough for taking this time. This is awesome, man. We really, really appreciate you well, morning, coming on, hitting horsepower, and sharing all these stories. This is, I could, I could talk for hours, right? So this is, this is cool. But I know you have, you got things to do, and I can't thank Dennis and the guys at Promoter enough for letting us, you know, borrow the shop for a little bit. Right. Now that, that uh, Chevy engine behind your head there is a little bit different than the Chevys you, you were building there oh, back in the day. It's
2: quite a bit different.
1: It's kind of neat to see the technology evolve, isn't it? Oh yeah, it? it escalates along. Never never stops. No, it do not Never. That's why we do these episodes, so that we can give you the history and the cutting edge technology, and that's why we have Hidden Horsepower.
0: Waddell Wilson on Hidden Horsepower. Lake, that was tremendous. Great job, and like you could feel the history. Oh. You could feel the history coming out of that guy. And, and they amazed me like the icons and the legends because they were doing it, I don't wanna say with nothing, but with factory parts and, and without the machinery that we have today.
1: Well, I mean, like I said, they were blueprinting it. They got engines from Ford in a crate and they went through back and blueprinted them. Yet certain machinist skills, certain little tricks they had Guys like
0: AJ Foyt and Mario Andretti, are like I want that guy's engine. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and and that's it. There was a good engine back then. Yeah. For reasons that no one could explain, but there was a good engine. And I got to commend you. You did a great job with the interview.
1: Uh, but I did forget one thing.
0: Well, I was I wasn't going to bring it up, but now that you brought it up, yeah, you forgot. forgot to ask the question that we ask at the end of every Hidden Horsepower episode, which is. Advice for the next generation. I bet he had some great stuff. He probably would have had some really great advice, but I forgot to ask the question, so. A good reason for a follow-up interview. Yes, I agree. Now that you've made the connection, and he knows, you know, you're, I won't say harmless, but you're, <laughs> you're a good guy, we can go back next time. But excellent work, and you know, I don't want to say that that question is becoming redundant because everyone has their own answer, but they are very similar. As in, go push a broom, keep your ears open, Don't, what was it, don't talk so people don't know how dumb you are? Right. I mean, really, if you go
1: back to the very first part of the interview, he kind of gave you that. Like, hey, I came to work there, and it was 10 hours a day, seven days a week. He wanted to go to the racetrack so he could get out of the shop. Because otherwise, if you didn't go to the racetrack, you were in the shop. Right. So it was intense work ethic they had back then and that was the key to laying that foundation for success
0: and if you love something and you want to learn something of course you want to be there and Mm -hmm. you're learning by osmosis excellent stuff all right but this is a hidden horsepower episode there are people out there who want piston rings they want to know where to go what to do how to find them
1: 623-587-7400 that's the phone number i mean keith kevin august uh greg all the guys are there it's super busy right now it's the first of the year and people are getting ready though cuz people have been watching videos and listening to the podcasts and they, they know hey i want to you know gasport this i want to gapless that they they see the advantages that have come from the stuff we're doing, and people are putting it in, and they're calling us back up, say, hey, I need to reorder
0: those because they work. Super exciting. And remember, write us a review, click the bell, leave a comment in the comments section. All of those things help. If you're audio only, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, you can take Hidden Horsepower on the road. We're going to have a big year with this show. Absolutely. I said the PR episodes are coming up, and there's a ton more coming your way. Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal.